0: Today is a special day for me. Um, I get to introduce our, uh, our guest as he comes to minister. Uh, pastor Bell, Pastor Tom Bell, and his wife, Jean, are, are with us today, and we're so blessed to have them. Um, this, this gentleman here, uh, he was the pastor. When I gave my heart to Jesus as a teenager, he preached the message, um, and I gave my heart to the Lord. And before I came here to be your pastor, I worked with him in ministry for five years at Trinity Assembly of God, and I can honestly tell you, I would not be standing here today in ministry if it weren't for this man, and uh, I am so blessed. I am blessed beyond measure. I, d- I don't have enough time to, to tell you what he means to, to us as a family and to me personally, and so um, we are just so blessed to have him. He's gonna sh- I've asked him to come and share the word this morning. Would you welcome him the Bible Assembly of God, Pastor Tom Bell.
1: I was five years old when I preached that message, when he got saved. Uh, After pastoring for 46 years, we um, three years ago retired and uh, been serving different churches in different ways since, and it's been a blessing. Um, So I say that to say this, um, when you served churches all those years. Uh, you are you are aware of things. And uh, I'm sitting there in my pew this morning, and I'm thinking, <clears throat> I know a quick little sermon that I could preach today that would get these people out by lunch. And uh, I really had kind of thought about it, but it ain't going to happen. I'm just... I, <laughs> I thought I might as well just come clean. Uh, actually, the, seriously, as I was just thinking about doing that, pastor stepped down and he said, now I want you to feel free to preach today. And I thought, oh, hallelujah. He wants, he wants me to take them to one or two. Uh, I, I said in the early service, and I'd say again, that um, there, there is uh, no people in the world that are more dear to us uh, than the summer's. And uh, I love them and then we come here and we see people who uh, we uh, had the privilege of being pastor in Springfield Ohio and they still look good I mean they still look young I don't know what's going on with me but uh, so I just again pastor you've honored me greatly to have me come Um, I don't if you would by chance be visiting here today, uh, if there, I, I want to say to you, if I lived in this community, this would be my church. Amen. And I don't, I'm not just saying that. Um, I've contemplated the two and a half hour drive already, but I decided maybe that was a little bit too much. You know, um, Lord's good, isn't he? That, um, the summer's been so good to us, and we enjoyed our time uh, last night at the presentation. Some of you were involved in that, um, and uh, I just I want to thank you for letting me share God's Word with you. Um, open your Bibles or your Bible app, if the case might be, to um, Luke's Gospel, and we want to look at um, some things here regarding uh, the Gospel of Luke. The title of today's message is Salvation at the Door of Eternity. Now you'll quickly recognize when I begin to read, or we're talking in chapter 23 of Luke, you would already know that we are going to focus in on uh, a portion of the crucifixion today. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. I'd like to start in the 32nd verse. Uh, and then in a few moments, the latter verses that we're reading will be on the screen, and they will be the actual text verses. But in chapter 23, verse 32 of Luke's Gospel, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull... There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing, and they divide up his clothes by casting lots. People stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him and offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. And as I mentioned earlier today, this is Luke's gospel. Matthew and Mark both say that both criminals also were insulting him. So they were both involved in this insulting, but one man, as you can see in a moment, had a change of heart. But the other criminal rebuked him, talking about when one was insulting him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We're punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you truly, your Bible might say surely, or assuredly, you will be with me today. He says, today you will be with me in paradise. So I just want to call our attention to those last few verses. He said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then in verse 43, Jesus said, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Three men died that day, crucified side by side, outside the walls of Jerusalem where everyone could see. The Romans wanted you to see the crucifixion so that you would not step out of line, of course. And we know Jesus was on the middle cross. But on either side was, the Bible calls a malefactor factor or a criminal. Let's, let's unfold that and unpack it just a little. These criminals would have been thieves and robbers and bandits. Those are all words that would apply. They were the criminal class, actually. That was their profession. That's what they did when they went to work. They were members of what we might call the underworld, or uh, an MS-13 gang, or what we might even look to as uh, someone who was a drug lord, bad, bad dudes. That was their life. We don't know their names, we don't know their hometowns, There, there are some actual Writings that claim to have found their name, but that's not really clear in Scripture, so we'll stay away from that. We do assume that they're partners in crime, and many commentaries believe that they they were actually partners with Barabbas, a part of his gang. Again, what we do know, that these are bad criminals with bad reputations uh, who have done some very, very, very bad things. But here they are players in one of the greatest dramas in your Bible and mine. We We don't really know too much about the rest of that story. What was going on a mile away, a half a mile away. The focus of the Bible is if you take the camera lens and you would just zoom right in and look at the crosses and see what's happening there. That's what the Bible wants to talk to us about. I, I guess it's okay to say that in this part of the country. I am a Cincinnati Reds fan. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, actually, it really doesn't matter that much to me, but here's what I really love when I'm watching the baseball game. I, I love it when the cameraman looks up at the moon. Have you ever seen him do that? And focus. And and the moon takes up the entire big screen, and you can see shadows, and you think, wow. And then all of a sudden, he decides to just back out. He didn't move. He backs out with his camera, and, and, and now the moon's about the size of a quarter. The focus just showed everything. Now, I might not do a very good job today, but here's what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. He wants to take the camera lens of our spiritual life, and he wants to focus on the hill of the skull, Golgotha's Hill, and that's what we'll do. I'm really not sure how much these guys knew each other in life, but certainly they are, in this sense, whether they wanted to be or not, they are certainly partners in death. One man wanted to escape. He did not want forgiveness. The other man wanted forgiveness. He was not necessarily concerned about escape. Okay, so first of all, let's look closer. Let's zoom in on the man who wanted the forgiveness. Like we could talk a lot about the bad dudes, and we know a lot of bad dudes. That's that's not really what we want to look at for a long time. But this man who wanted forgiveness was also brutal, as we talked about, and he's dying in agony. Again, I would mention to you that crucifixion is one of the worst ways in the world to die. Jesus in particular, lest I fail to mention it, would have probably been so beaten and so misused that they te- commentators tell us that he was probably unrecognizable. And again, I said this in the early service, beaten to a pulp. I wish time would let me just explain maybe how ugly that was. These guys are hurting. They're close to death. So here we have a man who has one foot, so to speak, in the grave, one foot in eternity, and he's there with Jesus. While he has been with the other guy making fun, if you're really Jesus, come down. Something happens, and he he stops, and he says to his compadre or whatever, he says, wait a minute, this man's not even guilty. We're guilty. Don't you have any kind of respect here? And he turned to Jesus in verse 42, and he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this will be obvious a little bit later in the message, but a man came to me after the first service and said, thank you. Uh, Your message today really helped me. He had a a family member that was at the point of death that gave their heart to the Lord, and he told me a little bit about that and how God worked through that. And I'm not sure if he's here or not for this part, but it ministered to his heart. It will minister to yours if if you'll pay close attention. I do submit that this is one of the most amazing examples in the Bible of saving faith. Here we have blood and pain and and all of this ridicule and all of this going on. And all of a sudden, by the way, Jesus doesn't, like I said, he doesn't look like a king. I mean, here he is being crucified this man said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. As far as we know, he never heard a teaching of Jesus. He didn't know anything about the miracles. He didn't hear the parables. He probably wasn't aware of Old Testament Isaiah's talk about the virgin birth. And yet he says, remember me. Our question would be today as we focus in on Calvary with our of understanding we'd ask ourselves what happened how did this guy flip-flop from making fun of Jesus to asking him please remember me when you come into your kingdom I submit it's verse 34 I submit verse 34 again is a great message and tells us why we exist as a church you you saw everything was going on here today in people's lives verse 34 tells what it's about because when Jesus was hanging on the cross and they were making fun of him and he's bleeding and he's dying, he looks down and what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I submit to you it's love. I submit to you that this thief on the cross saw a heart of love. Who can forgive people who are actually causing you to die, putting you to death? Who is the person that would have the strength to say, Oh God, forgive them. That was our Lord. He was full of love. This man saw that. And his prayer was so modest. A gentleman said to me earlier, he said, they, you know, it was like he worried about did he say the right words? Was it the right words? And I, I'll say you very clearly that God judges the sincerity of your heart, not the accuracy of your words. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let me quickly give you an analysis of this man's coming to faith and what happened, and then we'll move on. And I like to do this. A lot of times people like to have a little different meat to add, a little outline, a little more study from a sermon. And you could do that with what I'm giving you right now. First of all, he had faith in the person of Christ. He was who he said he was. He had faith in the power of Christ. Why would you cry to another man being crucified, lest you believe there was that he had the power to help you. He had faith in his mercy. Remember me. When, me. Remember me when you come to your kingdom. And he had faith in his kingdom. So you can work through that. Let's look back of how we know he really got saved. I had some people say that to me. Well, Tom, how do you know he really got saved? Well, actually, in verse 43, you find your answer because it is Jesus saying, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, even if it's a lot of people you trust and they say to you, I'll do something, I mean, hopefully they will, but we all sometimes fail and we don't follow through. But this is Jesus. Think about it for a minute. Think about it. What if all you had to hold on to that you're going to heaven was that your pastor told you you're going to go? Now he's a great guy. He's a good man and he loves God and he loves the Word of God. But I think I'd want something a little better than just a man, just a person. This guy has the Son of God. This is Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you, so three things. First of all, his salvation was immediate. Today you'll be with me in paradise. I have said it before, I want to say it again. You don't get saved in pieces. Sanctification is that way, um, but but not your salvation. Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and if you will trust him as your Lord and Savior and turn from sin, he will save you. And, and I, I have been raised in uh, full gospel circles, assemblies of God and others all, all my life. And, and I think sometimes we fail to hit, help people realize the assurance of our salvation. Secondly, it was a personal salvation. Today you'll be with me. I said earlier, the glory of heaven is Jesus. Today you'll be with me in paradise. With me. With Jesus. And of course... It's a heavenly salvation. He said, you'll be with me in paradise. I want to talk about paradise for a little bit. Could we, uh, thank you, move to that um, diagram slide? Thank you very much. Now, the first time you find the word uh, paradise in your Bible, it's in Genesis. Adam and Eve were in paradise in the Garden of Eden. Paradise is where... All things are well. All things are well with you physically, spiritually, mentally. It's paradise. I'm not sure there's a better word. That's, it's, it's really great. Remember, Adam and Eve experienced Jesus, actually God, in the cool of the evening, walking with them. How wonderful was that? Paradise. Paradise. However, prior to the cross, the great event of the cross and Jesus' death, there was no way for mankind to get to heaven. Hebrews tells us very clearly that all of the blood of bulls and goats could not, and you and I won't take that with the strength because we're not Jewish. We don't, I mean, we are talking I don't know, trillions and I I don't, big numbers that I don't understand uh, through the years of animals that's been put to death as a type of Christ on the cross as a sacrifice. And all of those, according to the Bible, that won't save you. It, It just won't save you. There is no saving grace except for the cross. Unless Jesus Christ died on the cross, no one is going to heaven All the Old Testament saints died in faith looking toward the cross. All of us are in faith looking back of what Jesus did on the cross, right? So quickly, just when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise, he was talking about the fact that, again, people didn't go to heaven per se at that time. They went to paradise. Paradise was uh, actually... Hades. And I know you think, oh, no, that's just hell. Well, a portion of Hades is hell. The other portion was paradise. In other words, there's a portion that is torment, and there's a portion that what I mentioned is paradise. That's where he said, you'll be with me. Um, There was a great golf fix between the two. One couldn't go to the other. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross... And he became the sacrifice for our sins. The Bible makes it very clear that Jesus led captivity captive. Jesus went and he got all the Old Testament saints. He, he preached to the spirits in prison, per se, and took them all to heaven with him. Now when a person dies, according to the Apostle Paul, and in your Bible... To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When a Christian dies now, they they don't go to some holding tank. They go to heaven to be with the Lord. Now, I hope that's not uh, overwhelming today. Um, By the way, the devil is not in Hades. He has never been, he never will be. The devil doesn't have a little little office in hell somewhere. He doesn't do that. He's the prince and power of the air. And this is his kingdom right here until it's taken away from him. But the Bible does say that there will be a time when death and hell, Revelation, will be rolled over into the lake of fire. That's Revelation 2.7, by the way. And the only way you can go to hell or to the lake of fire is to reject the cross of Jesus Christ can't get there any other way. The Bible says very clearly that it was made for the devil and his angels, and the only way to get there is to accept Jesus Christ. But here we have this thief on the cross, and he's got one foot into eternity, and he realizes the love of God, and he sees it in this Savior, and he said, remember me, when you come into your kingdom, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So I understand that there's a lot there and we really need, you know, you need some time to digest that. And most of you probably know that better than what I'm trying to tell you. But that's kind of an idea of the way it was. But our hope is found in chapter 3 of John where it's very clear that everyone who believes on him has eternal life. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life it says God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but the world through him might be saved by the way every one of you in this room is going to live eternally somewhere and the choices exist today of either knowing And accepting and believing in Jesus Christ who is the only sacrifice for sin. And if you accept him and you say, well, I don't really know all about that. I'm going to talk about all the stuff that the thief did in a minute to get saved. I'll I'll make sure you understand that. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and you close your eyes in death here, you're going to be with him in heaven. If you don't, you won't. You're bound for a devil's hell. You're bound for eternity, which is the second death without God. And it's, every one of us will live eternally somewhere. But the decision has to be made here. This is the only world in which you can make that decision. There, there's no decision made after death that's made before. And here we have this man with one foot in the grave saying, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. I don't know. I just feel like maybe... There's someone listening to this message today that needs to say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Billy Graham said, I'm not going to heaven because I preached great crowds and read the Bible many times, but I'm going to heaven just like the thief on the cross who said, remember me. So what happens, what are we getting when we focus in on Calvary, when we talk about this story? Well, I'm going to give you, by the help of the Lord, three encouraging lessons of hope that I think we should learn from this thief's salvation. Number one, it's never too late to turn to Christ. I mean, I've had people tell me I'm too old. I'm too old to try that. I can't try anything else. There's no use me trying. God won't accept. Ex- I mean, all kinds. God won't accept me. I've heard it, everything, I suppose. Uh, but this story is to tell us that it's never too late. By the way, I want to encourage you in this room who are praying for your loved ones. And I will tell you that somehow I am totally convinced that the judge of all the earth will do right. And therefore I know that when a man would call out to God, God would hear him. The dying thief teaches us that no one's ever too far gone. I have family members that have prayed for For years and years and years and years. And yet we'll keep praying. We'll not give up on them. Oh, sometimes it seems like I might as well, but I'm not. I won't. It's never too late. If it's not too late for this man who is so close to death, it's not too late for your son or your daughter or your granddaughter or your cousin or your wife, your husband, your friend. Secondly... Even the very worst among us can be saved. Now, I know how that sounds. But we took time to talk about how bad this guy was. I personally believe in deathbed conversions. I've seen them over and over again. I've seen people come to the Lord with their last breath. But I would again, I would remind you, don't, don't, don't try that. Don't... Uh, don't make that your goal. Don't laugh at God all your life and think someday you'll just do it because someday may never come. And time would al- allow me and we could talk more about how the fact that dying in our world today is not the same as it was 20, 30 years ago. If you're going to die today, they'll call in hospice. And there's nothing wrong with that. They're a great organization, but they're there to take away the pain and The thing of it is sometimes people who are dying, because we're trying to be so humane, we've got them so doped and they're so full of pain medicine to keep from having pain that I certainly wouldn't want to wait until my deathbed to try to make sure I'm mentally okay to get right with God. If you're in this room today and you're not right with God, you're on borrowed time already, and we need to make sure we are. So it's never too late, and there's no one, how would we say it, too far gone. I mean, these guys lived a rotten life. Let me just lay it out there kind of clear. Here's how plain I want to be. It really doesn't matter who you've been hanging around with. It doesn't matter... The sins you committed, it doesn't matter if you broke all the Ten Commandments in order just last week. It doesn't matter what you've been drinking or what you've been putting in your arm or where you slept last night. God loves you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. Just like everybody else. And if you'll call on his name, he will save you. And you say, well, Tom, the problem is I don't know what to say. Um, how about, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now, I'm not saying we make that a sinner's prayer. You know, that's what's wrong sometimes in the church. We, we grab onto something and we take it. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying, but God is not concerned about the abundance of the words you say. He's concerned about the sincerity of your heart. Do you mean it here? Thirdly, and this is finally. God has made salvation so simple that anyone who will can be saved. Another thing I believe in with all my heart, I believe children can be saved. I've seen it over and over and over again. Just a a child that, well, I, I received Jesus Christ when I was 13 years old. And the theology that I knew at 13 was about that deep, right? But it was real. Consider this, would you? This man was never baptized. This man never took the Lord's Supper. This man never went to confession, but he went to heaven. And this is not to suggest that going to church and doing godly things is not the good thing to do, but he never went to church. He never walked an aisle. He never shook a preacher's hand. He never took catechism class. He never gave any money to the church, but yet he went to heaven. He never... He was independent of any good works. This man was not able to lift a finger to help his neighbor to do anything. He couldn't run errands for the Lord. He couldn't do things to show the mercy of God to others. But yet Jesus said, assuredly, man, that's powerful. I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Nothing he could give in exchange for his soul. All of us in this room who are believers know that it's not our righteousness that will take us to heaven. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We all know very well that there's not one thing we can do that would be good enough. There's not, we cannot pay for our sins and, and good works will never save us. Good, righteous works are a result of our salvation, but they do not bring our salvation. This is the simple question. Some say, Tom, you shouldn't ask that. But that's exactly where we are that we focus in on death, on Golgotha, on Skulls Hill. Here's the question. Are you and I ready to die? When I pastored in South Charleston, Ohio, does anyone know where that is? Good. It's a big old place, you know, a little, there's a school. When I pastored in South Charleston, Ohio, I worked at the local funeral home. They didn't didn't have a lot of help. And at that time, I go on dating myself, at that time preachers wore ties and suits everywhere. Matter of fact, I saw a picture the other day when they wore them at the Reds ball game, but that's another story too. Everybody at the ball game, every man at the ball game had a suit and tie on. That's not my message. Don't get lost there, okay? <laughs> this is not a suit and tie message, by the way. But the undertaker knew that I was always dressed and ready if he needed, so he'd just call me, Tom, can you, can you come? And they got to know me, and then everybody in town, almost everybody in town that died that didn't have a pastor, he'd call me to do their service. I want to assure you that people die of all ages and all colors and all stripes. It is appointed unto man once to die. So I'm not being rude or bringing up a subject that's not going to touch everybody. The question is not are we a thief, it's which one are we? Are we going to try to ignore? Are we making fun of religion? Are you in a place right now where you say, I don't need God? Or would you please with me today recognize the love of God? How a God of heaven could send his only son to die in your place and mine. Oh, what love. And I quote it again, For God so loved the world... And by the way, we could talk a long time and still not exhaust that idea of God's love. but he died for you, He loves you, and he wants you to spend eternity with him in heaven. So what about it? What about your eternal soul? What about where you will spend eternity? So let me put my arms around this and close it this way. First of all, if you're in this room and you're a believer, I want you to bring yourself to the foot of the cross where we focused in today. And I want you to pray a little prayer in your heart of thanksgiving. It says, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Amen? If you're not a believer today, I want you to know that you can stand at the foot of that same cross. And the God of heaven says to you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on in your life, I love you. And he's dying for you on that cross as well. And maybe you'll decide today to say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then all of us who are praying for our believing, unbelieving family, Don't quit. If that's the only message I could leave with you with this, that's one of the powerful messages I want to leave with you. It's never too late. Don't give up. Don't quit. Now you can't I feel like I should say this. You can't quote them enough scripture to make them go to heaven. You can't browbeat them into the kingdom. You won't overwhelm them with spiritual things and they're going to just, you know, listen. I'm, I'm, this is conjecture. Is that okay for just a moment? I could be totally wrong, but I'm just going to guess that maybe the mother of this thief on the cross, maybe this mother of a thief on the cross never even told him about Jesus. I don't know. Maybe she did. Either way, here he is, and he is saved. But my point is this: they're in God's hands. Hear me, they're in God's hands. It, it, if you have family member, I have family members that say to me, "Don't talk to me about that. If you're going to talk about God, we're done. We're not, go- we're not going to talk about God. Don't, don't go there. Some of you in this room might have told your own family that one time or another. Hmm. But you know what? They can shut you out, but they can't shut out the Holy Spirit. Right? Never give up. Stand with me, would you please? Thank you for being so kind and listen today. Uh, thank you. Before pastor comes, let's just take that minute. It would it'd be wrong for us to spend all this time talking about the cross and not say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. That brings up something in our life as a Christian. Every Christian in here should have that moment today when you're saying, absolutely, Tom, I'm with you. I would be totally lost without Jesus, his grace, his mercy. Thank you, Lord. If you need to experience that today, I want you to do the same thing in your mind at the foot of that cross. Stop running from God. He loves you. He loves you. I don't want to assume anything. I realize we've already been to the altar and we've had a wonderful time, but if you just feel the Holy Spirit is is challenging you, maybe you're coming just as a point of contact to say thank you Lord for what you've done maybe you're finding your way to this altar to be at the foot of the cross to say God I want to go to heaven when I die I want you to forgive me of my sins I want you to remember me when you uh, come into your kingdom Just be obedient to him for the next moment or two. It's good. It's good. Pastor, please make your way to um, the podium. I can't say enough how much I thank you for letting me share Jesus with you today.
0: I made a comment. It's not a matter of if you're a thief, it's which one are you? A powerful word with that. There's a phrase I use a lot that it says it's not about how good you are or how bad you are because you don't go to heaven because you're good. You don't go to hell because you're bad. What a prime example of that in today's scripture. You go to heaven because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you go to hell because you don't. And today, I challenge you with the words that Pastor Bell has shared with us today. If you need to make your heart right with God, I challenge you to do that. If you're praying for someone that doesn't know Christ, don't stop. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. God's moving. Even in times when you can't see it with your physical eyes, God is moving. Hallelujah. So, Father, today we pray. We pray for our, those lost loved ones, God. Today, we pray for those that are in our circle of influence. Today, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do your work. That you would draw them to a place of repentance. That you draw them back to that love of Christ that they see. Let them see that love in us. God, I pray that you would, in the next days and even weeks and months ahead, God, that we would see those family members coming to Christ, that there'll be testimony after testimony after testimony of you moving and working and salvation taking place. We praise you, God. Thank you Lord, for the time we've shared together today. You're so awesome. Go with us God as we go into uh, our week. I pray God that you just bless us with your presence every day and may we be making impact in the lives of people. We thank you and we praise you today in Jesus name. And everyone said Amen.